Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. The world's not going to change through uh, empty philosophy. Actually, I want to read something first before we like get into it. Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Actually, let's start with verse 6. If you haven't shared the broadcast, please share the broadcast. Help me get the word out. Hi, Nicole. And uh, let's get this word out to as many people as possible. So Colossians 2, 6, the Bible says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so also walk in him, rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith. I want you, if you're re- if you're listening right now on the comment section, just write out established in faith. Without faith, you can't even be established. So nothing is established. If we're gonna have an established life, an established family, an established business, an established anything, if you're gonna establish your world, you're gonna you're gonna have to invest time in the development of your faith. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught. So everybody knows that scripture, Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith has to be taught to the people. People need to learn how to, you know, there's a lot of people just use your faith. Or, you know, how many of you know faith can answer all? Yeah, those are all true statements. However, you have to be taught. How to operate in faith. How to turn loose your faith. That's how the old timers used to talk about it. You turn loose your faith. Or or you got to release your faith. How do you release your faith? I mean the most frustrating thing in life, in Christianity, is to be told you need the fire of God. Or you you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or you need to be saved. And then not told how to be saved. How to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. How to receive the fire of God. How to turn your faith loose. How to make your faith go to work for you. And uh, that's the problem. A lot of times in people's lives is they, they know that faith is valuable. They know that the fire of God is holds value. They know that God is all powerful, but they don't know the practicality of how to make those things work for you. And so I want to take today's broadcast and just piggybacking off last week where we talked about the dominion of the believer. Uh, It's wonderful to know uh, that as a believer, the Bible says that Christ has disarmed principalities and powers over your life and that you now have dominion over the things that used to have dominion over you. But I want to show you how faith operates in enforcing that dominion in practical areas of life. Faith is not some feeling we have in our heart how many of you know that though the world is not established though the world is like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro how many of you know if you just have faith in your heart well you know we'll we'll be able to have an anchor in the storm jesus is not an anchor in the storm (laughs) you read mark chapter 4 the bible says when the storm rose after jesus had given command to go to the other side when the storm rose What did Jesus do when he woke up? When they woke him up because they were complaining. Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Wake up, do something about it. And Jesus wakes up and he says, Oh, you unbelieving, perverted generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? And the Bible says he moves on to address the storm. 
And he didn't pray about the storm. He didn't, he didn't like throw himself overboard and say, guys, watch, I'm going to teach you a lesson now that I'm the anchor in the storm. And he tossed himself overboard and he put his hand into a rock and just stayed the boat. No, the Bible says Jesus rose up and he addressed the storm. He released his faith that subdued the storm and gained him the victory in that battle against darkness. And the Bible says, as a result, the disciples got to enjoy the victory and they made it to the other side. Well, I tell you today, no matter the storm you're facing, no matter the hell that's risen up in your life, as you'll apply these principles from the word of God and start to address the storm by the faith of God that he's deposited into your spirit as you begin to develop that faith and turn that faith loose through practical practices and disciplines that I'm going to address today. Whatever storm you've been facing, no matter how fierce, no, no matter how high the waves have been coming on into your boat, trying to wipe you out, no matter the devil's sweat, and no matter the devil's uh, attempt to prevail in your life, those things come to not today. Every storm in your life today, by the authority of the word of God, comes to not. It gets subdued, just like the Bible says in the book of Psalms. He calms the raging storms, and he soothes the seas, so that he can guide them to their desired haven. God has a desired haven. He has a place of refuge. He has, God has already given the decree. You're to make it to the other side. But the devil's going to try and do everything in his power to keep you from obtaining the promise, to prevent you from accessing the promised land. But let me tell you, the devil can try his hardest and his best, but his best is not enough. Because if the word of the Lord has come forth that tells you you're going to make it to the other side, if you'll partner with God in doing your part, in fulfilling your terms of the covenant, there's nothing the devil can do to you or your family that the power of God can't do something about today. That's why Ephesians 3, 19 and 20 says, now unto him who can do far more exceedingly and abundantly above all that you can ask, think, or imagine according to that glorious power at work in you jesus paid a high price to get that glorious power in you but just having the power in you is not gonna cut it you need to learn how to release that power you have a the you have god's divine nature and life and ability housed in you know ye not ye are the temple of the holy ghost but just knowing those things and admiring those things won't help you on a practical level. You need to know, and I'm not, I mean, we're going to get into it. This is going to be a very practical broadcast, so share it. And share it as many times as you can. Share it every two minutes, because then if your friend, for, if the devil doesn't want to get your friend to watch it the first time, then the second time it pops up, third time, then finally he's going to just say, you know what, they don't give up, let me watch this broadcast. So share it as many times as possible. My friend Isaiah says all the time, if you can share a cat doing uh, backflips on YouTube and stuff through your Facebook page, you can share the gospel getting out. So share this broadcast. At just having and admiring those things in your spirit is not enough. I'm going to show you today how to 
Let that creative power in you because God's power is creative. That's why you can look outside and see trees and everything you see. That's why every one of our fingerprints are different from one another because God is super creative. He's innovative. He's always making something new. And the Bible says, you ought to forget those former things. Don't remember the things of old, neither consider the days of old. But today I'm about to do a new thing. Today I'm about to do a new thing. God is about to do a new thing in your life and that new thing if the Lord builds the house if the Lord does not build the house they that labor labor in vain but when God decides to build the house they that labor do not labor in vain it's those that labor against the labor of God that labor in vain because if a work or a plan is established by God it cannot be overturned and God's gonna do a new thing in your life that cannot be overturned because no weapon formed against you can ever be made to prosper and then it says every tongue that rises up against you 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 not God you shall condemn so let's talk about the faith to change the world but before that Colossians 2 8 beware Colossians 2 8 listen to this beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men according to the basic principles of this world and not according to Christ Then verse 18 says, let nobody cheat you of your reward. I want you to write in the comment section, I won't be cheated of my reward. I won't be cheated of my reward. God has a reward for you. God is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. God doesn't tell you to do things and then promise You that he'll do something if you'll apply this only to take the rug under your feet so that you fall, slip, hit your head. Ah, Well, told you you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, uh, my word, my word is good and stuff, but how many of you know, how many of you know, sometimes we got to use a little wisdom and stuff. That's not the way God does things. God has spoken his word that if you'll apply it, God said, you do your little thing. I'll do what only I can do. You do what's only what's humanly possible to do. Just like those John chapter 2. The wedding of Cana of Galilee. They had a problem. They had no more wine. They had nothing else to serve at the wedding. So they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, uh, do something about it. He said, woman, my hour is not yet come. Then his mother says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And he tells the servants, fill the water pots with water. So they filled the water pots with water. They did what they were able in the natural to do. But then what happened? He said, draw some out now and bring it to the master of the feast. When they obeyed God's simple instruction, as they were on their way, God supernaturally changed the uh, molecular breakup of water from H2O to whatever wine is in, in, in the periodical table. And it became wine supernaturally. So that when the master of the feast drank some, he said, every, uh, every wedding master, everyone brings out the good wine first. So that when the guests have freely drunk, then they bring out the inferior. But you have kept the best for last. And it was like the best wine they had ever drank. So what do you see from that? You see that the, the, the servants of the feast, they did their little part. They co-op. Faith is not leaving in God's hand everything 
All the responsibility is on God's end. All the, you know, if it's going to, how many of you know if God said it, then God settles, that settles it and it'll, it'll get done. No, that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says God said it. He gave an instruction for me to do. When I do that and I continually confess his word, then it shall come to pass. That's why the Bible says, Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not it's hard to please God. Not it's difficult to please God. Not it's, it's more complex in pleasing God, but there's a way. No, there's no other way to please God except by faith. That's why faith is a subject that you should invest in. It's something that you should, I mean, if you look at my table right now, I got like three or four books on faith. Not because I'm preaching on it today. It's just something I continuously invest into my spirit, man. Because <laughs> Ephesians 6.16, part of the, the weapons of our warfare, because the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Meaning the devil doesn't attack you with a sword or a gun. So we're not to attack back with a sword or a gun. Because the Bible says we wrestle not with flesh and blood. It won't do them any good. You can't take a gun and locate where the devil's at and just shoot him. First of all, he's an eternal being and he's a spirit. You wouldn't be able to in uh, inflict any damage on him. He's an eternal spirit. Uh, not an eternal, he's not eternal, but he was a created spirit. He's a spirit. He's... He doesn't have flesh and blood. Howbeit, the weapons of our warfare are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. So there are strongholds that the enemy seeks to keep you bound by. There are chains of affliction. There are, the Bible says, fetters of iron, meaning handcuffs that the devil wants to lay on you, but they're not evaded. You don't break free from those things through natural strength, not through human potency. Rather, the Bible says, the weapons of our warfare are mighty for the pulling down and shattering, dismantling and destruction of those strongholds. Ephesians 6.16 now. Put on the full armor of God that you may stand in the, wild, in, in the wicked day, in the wiles of the devil. Then it says, above everything. Because everybody, you know, we talk about the helmet of salvation. We talk about the girding our loins with the belt of truth. But it finishes off in verse 16. Above all these things. So above all, all the rest that we just discussed, all the other weapons of warfare, above all those things, you should put on or take up the shield of faith, wherein, with which you will extinguish every fiery dart of the wicked one. There is a shield called faith, an impenetrable shield called faith an indestructible shield called faith. Why is it so invincible? Why is it so strong? Because faith in God is faith in his word. Faith in God, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Faith in his word is faith in God. So when that shield called faith is actually God himself takes a position around you that whatever can't, whatever can afflict God, whatever can, oppress God has permission to oppress you whatever can lay sickness on God can have can have permission to lay sickness on you but when that shield of faith comes around you that shield who is God himself because faith 
allows you to tap into God's omnipotency. It allows you to tap into God himself. When you stand on the platform of faith, you stand on the same platform that God stands on. And whatever can bypass God no longer has the ability to bypass you. And I tell you by the word of the Lord, as you take up that shield called faith, every assault of hell, the Bible says they intended evil against me. They plotted a scheme which they were not able to perform. Every plotting of the devil, every wickedness of hell, the Bible says they will not be able to perform it because the shield called faith will extinguish Today, this very day, every fiery dart the enemy has come against you to try and knock you out. It gets extinguished today by the force of faith in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Faith to change the world. So I want to go through, I'm just going to go through one, one principle today. And then Thursday, watch again, uh, Thursday at 1 p.m. And I'm going to do the rest. But today I want to talk about the importance of your words, the value of your words. I want you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to uh, Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 2. I'm going to read a lot of scripture because I want to show you. Anthony Robbins and all these motivational guys, uh, Jim Ron, all those guys, they didn't come up with the power of your words. You know, if you just speak life, you know. They didn't come up with that. They're actually taking Bible principles and Bible uh, scriptures and they're applying it in a worldly sense. Because the principles of scripture, if you believe them, a lot of them, you'll reap the benefits of those principles even if you're not saved. If an unsaved man walks in the wisdom of scripture, I mean, you see a lot of these, you look at like Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't drink wine, doesn't smoke. He actually has something in his will that if any of his kids or grandkids start smoking or drinking, he pulls the will. He pulls their inheritance in the will. So he has applied something because he, he, he's seen the, the disaster of what drinking does to someone. And so he himself has taken a stand in abiding by the wisdom of scriptures to not let alcohol touch his lips. And as a result, he has now been... He, he's, he's excelled in his, in his field. He became a billionaire and, and he's used a lot. I mean, if you read about the guy, he's used a lot of scriptural principles and he surrounds himself with Pentecostal Holy Ghost preachers. And you take uh, Hilton, for example, the guy that founded the Hilton Hotels. He applied the principles of scripture. J.C. Penney, he applied the law of seed time and harvest and he would tithe from the moment he had his smallest paycheck, he began to tithe on his business, whatever came in the business. As he did, the business began to expand. Then he thought to himself, because the business became so large, he actually said to himself, uh, obviously God does not expect me to tithe that much. So he lowered 10% to like 6%, 5% because it was still in like a large amount of money. And when he saw that he stopped doing the tithe, his business started to collapse and his business started to, to diminish in, in, in wealth. And then he realized, that, you know, maybe there was something to that. So he started tithing again. And then we know the empire of JCPenney, which obviously in recent times has, because he, this is like, you know, in the early 1900s. But in recent times, JCPenney, I think they declared bankruptcy. But he's, he's dead. JC, the founder and, and, and they, they're not tithing. They weren't tithing off their, their, their income anyways. But you can see that a man took a Bible principle, applied it, and it grew his business. KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. The guy wasn't, when he got saved at an old age, he was going to kill himself several times. 
And finally, he, uh, he ends up hearing the gospel, gets up, ends up getting saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. He sells KFC and he, he tithes, I think a million, because back in the day, I think they sold it for $11 million. He tithes off the $11 million to a church. And then his wealth and his, his status ended up increasing because the laws of seed time and earth, the laws of the scriptures, if applied in faith, will produce wonderful results. That's why the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he that believes in God must what? He that believes in God must come to him. And he that seeks him wholeheartedly, if he seeks him diligently, God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Proverbs 6.2. So what are some things that we can do in exercising our faith or turning loose our faith or releasing our faith? You are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. Proverbs 6, 2. You are snared by the words of your mouth and you are taken by the words of your mouth. That means the devil doesn't have to do anything in your life if he can get you to speak a wrong confession. There are positive confessions and there are negative wrong confessions. There is, you know, when you get saved, you have to confess your sin, you confess your weakness, you confess your inadequacy, your depravity without God. But once you get saved, you shouldn't confess your weaknesses anymore. You shouldn't confess your inadequacies because the greater one now abides in you. So there are wrong confessions. After you get saved, you can't say, I am weak. It's unscriptural to let those words proceed out of your mouth. And when you do let those words out of your mouth, when you confess defeat, when you confess failure, when you confess your weakness, when you confess destruction, when you allow those words to proceed out of your mouth, the devil now has a foothold in your life to do whatever he wants to do. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 4, we are not to give the devil a foothold in our life. Well, how do you allow the devil entrance into your life? The same way you allow God's entrance into your life. When you confess, the Bible says, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. So how does salvation come? What's a right confession for salvation? You believe the gospel that God raised Jesus from the dead. You put your faith in that work, the atoning of uh, the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ, that Christ was made sin on my behalf, that I might become the righteousness of God. And in believing in your heart, it's, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. You declare, you confess it. Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe I'm saved. I believe I've been redeemed from all the curse of the law. And as such, the Bible says, when you do that, you are saved. Salvation, God is no dis, doesn't make any distinctions between Jew or Greek, between freemen or slavemen, between female or, or male. The same Lord overall is going to be rich unto all who call upon Him. For those who do put their trust in the Lord, 
Romans 10 says, shall never be disappointed. God won't turn you away. When you apply those principles, the Bible says that we are renewed and regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit goes to work and substantializes the faith of God in us in bringing about the result of sanctification by the Spirit through belief in the truth. That's what the Word of God says. However, the same applies on the flip side. If you believe the report, of a doctor, if you rep- you believe the report of fear, if you re- believe the report of this world, if you put your faith in the devil's voice, his deceptive lies, and let those words come out of your mouth, the devil is then released into that situation, and he and and he goes to work in bringing about. He'll actually. He'll confirm the words that you speak. You give him a foothold in, in, in release. That's why the Bible says you're taken and ensnared by the words of your mouth. I'll read another one. Proverbs chapter 18. Actually, before that, let's do Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 13. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. Verse 14. A man will be satisfied. If you haven't shared the broadcast, please share it. Be a great help to me. A man will be satisfied with the fruit of his with good by the fruit of his mouth. And the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered unto him. Flip over to uh, backwards to Proverbs chapter 10. Listen to this. Proverbs chapter 10. The tongue of the righteous is like choice silver. But the heart of a wicked man is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many. But fools die for lack of wisdom. Now, let's go to Proverbs uh, Proverbs chapter 18. Verse 6. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. Meaning, your mouth will either guide you and direct you into paths of goodness. The Bible says he, he crowns our year with goodness and our paths drop down to dew. The Bible says there is a way of righteousness in which there is no death. Your, your mouth will either guide you and direct you into paths of righteousness, into green pastures, into still waters. Like David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack. That was a confession. God is my shepherd. I will not lack. He leads me by still past, by uh, still waters. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He satisfies my soul with good things. The whole book of Psalms is, is David and other psalmists' confession of who God is and what he can do and what he will do. I, Though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, so confession is not ignoring your problem. Confession is enforcing the highest reality, which is the word of God. And the Bible says, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For his rod and his staff, they come for me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's a, that's a positive confession. That no matter what the enemy's trying to do around me, I'm going to feast on God's goodness. For if I'm willing and obedient, God said, ye shall eat of the good of the land. 
Psalm 92. I mean, you want to talk about good, powerful confession. I'm not talking about, you know, you can name, claim, whatever you want. Oh, well, brother, that means, you know, there's a lot of stupid people in the world that'll take that and they'll twist it and pervert it and say, well, if, what, the way you're talking, I can just confess. Uh, I can just name that, uh, that man's wife. Man, she's cute. I'll just name and claim her and believe God. That you're, you're an idiot. You're not smart. You're not bright. You should get your IQ tested. Because that's not what I'm talking about. You, know, you, just, you can't just name and claim anything. Uh, that's where the message has been taken to an extreme. And you know, Kenneth Hagin used to say, if you'll just, you know, there's two extremes on both sides of any doctrine. And it's like a ditch, two ditches on both sides. But if you'll stay in the middle, it's a nice road that's paved with God's blessings. So any doctrine, you can take it to the extreme and make it, <laughs> and turn it demonic. But if you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, you take what the word of God says about it, and walk on that path and you'll see it's paved. The Bible says in the pathway of God. The path of the just shines brighter and brighter even unto that perfect day. So you can't just confess anything. But if it's in God's word and God said you can have it. Then you can use your mouth and as you do. You lend your voice to the, to the word of God. As you do God goes to work in creating that thing. In your life. So Proverbs 18. A fool's lips enter into contention. And his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction. So destruction comes as a result of wrong confession. Peril comes as a result of. Uh, you know just like faith has an expression in words. Unbelief carries an expression in the words that you use. The moment you said, I couldn't do it, unbelief, Satan, and every demonic work went to work to strip you of the ability to do it. What does the Bible say? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So who are you to confess anything else other than that? that I can, what's all things? That means anything and everything. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So stop gathering around the water cooler at work or picking up the phone when that guy keeps on calling and telling you how rough things are, how, how rough things you should expect things to be for you because this is how things were for me. Instead, don't let anybody cheat you from the reward of God's word. Instead, surround yourself with people that'll speak the word of life to you. You surround yourself with dry bones all the time. You're going to look like a dry bone in your own life. But if you're like Ezekiel, surround yourself like people like Ezekiel. That the Bible says, even in the midst of dry bones, God gave him a word. Oh, dry bones, Ezekiel 37. He showed him a valley full of dry bones. But he said, oh, dry. God said, can these dry bones live again? I don't know, Lord, you know. God said, speak to them. Hear the word of the Lord. Dry bones, ye shall live again. You surround yourself who release that Ezekiel utterance, that Ezekiel prophetic unction into every situation. That no matter how you feel when you get around those people, all of a sudden, that's why you've tuned into this broadcast. All of a sudden, you feel like David did. That he can run through a troop and by my God, I can leap over a wall. You can know if someone's being used of the devil based on the way you feel after you, you listen to them speak for an hour. Listen to them speak for 10 minutes and you feel like, you feel like your whole world's coming 
tumbling in. But there's people on the earth that are anointed of heaven to encourage you, to tell you that there's nothing, there's no entity, there's no organization of the devil, there's no joining force that hell can throw at you, that can prevail against you. Because if God be for you, who can be against you? The moment you said you didn't have enough faith, that's another bad confession. I just have a hard time believing. God said when you got saved, Romans 12, 3, He has dealt to you a measure of faith. So if God said you have a measure of faith, who are you to say that I have a hard time believing? You have faith in you. Stop saying, well, I, I, I just wish I had faith like that. I have faith. It's not about having faith. It's about knowing how to turn loose that faith, which is what we're going through right now. One of the ways you release your faith is by the words that you speak. And if you think that's some new doctrine that rose up in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1970s, then you're drastically wrong because Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, have the faith of God. Then he tells you how the faith of God is released. For if you should say unto this mountain, be thou uprooted and be cast into the sea and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that those things which you say should come to pass. You will have what you say. Well, I tried that whole, you know, speaking stuff and it just didn't work. Well, you just actually, you just confirmed the doctrine based on the word you're speaking. It didn't work. So from the get-go, you knew it didn't work. And so as a result, you'll have what you say. It won't work for you. But if you'll believe today, you know God is a faith God. And when he made you, he made you as his child. And like begets like. So if God's a faith God, then you're a faith child. And as a faith child, the only way you can make faith work for you is by operating the way God worked his faith. How did God work his faith? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then it goes on to tell you how. He used faith. God used faith in creating the heavens and the earth. How do we know that? Because the earth was formed, formless and void. And darkness actually was spread over the surface of the deep. But the Bible says in verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So God turned this. He didn't just wish for light to come. God spoke. Out of the abundance of his heart, he had a desire for light to overtake darkness. And when he did, he released words from his mouth. And as God said, let there be light, the, the Holy Spirit, which was brooding over the, you know, the Holy Spirit was there for, uh, for eternity. The Holy Spirit was, the Bible says, he was hovering over the surface of the deep. But the Holy Spirit didn't go to work in bringing light and in bringing creation until God released words out of his mouth. But the moment God said, the Holy Spirit brought light on the earth. In the same vein, the Holy Spirit could be hovering over that situation that you're facing. The Holy Spirit, not could be, he's hovering over that body that you're seeking healing over. The Holy Spirit is hovering over that business that's collapsing. The Holy Spirit is hovering over that, that child that you're believing. God, for, uh, for breakthrough in that child's life, in the salvation in your family, in your cousin's life, in your family's life, in your father's life, whatever. The Holy Spirit is hovering over, but until you line your mouth up with God's word and align your confession with God's confession, the Holy Spirit can't actually go to work. Because the Holy Spirit, remember, Jesus said 
that he does not speak on his own authority. He only reveals what God has said and spoken, and he only confirms what God has said and spoken. So he won't confirm your words, he'll confirm God's word in your mouth. And Isaiah 55 says, that my word will never return void. So shall my word be, God said. It shall never return void. So in the same vein, when you speak his word, when you lend your mouth to God's word, you, that word given in faith from a heart-rooted conviction that God carries integrity. What God said, he is not only able, but he's fully willing to perform. When you lend your, word, your mouth to that word, the same created force, creative forces that went to work in creation begin to be released into your own situation and whatever appearance of darkness there is, the Bible says it'll be blasted out of your life and light will shine on your ways. I mean, you read Genesis 1, and God said, and God saw, and God said, and God saw, and God said, and God saw. That's why the devil will fight you on this more than anything else. Because until you say, you will never see. Until you say, you will never see. Because you are ruled by your words. You are ruled by your words. Proverbs 18, 20 and 21. A man's stomach will be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. You know what that tells you? Your mouth is a production facility. And whatever is produced in here is what will manifest out there. You know, show me a man's... <laughs> Let me listen to your, your voice for today and I'll tell you what you'll see tomorrow. Let me listen to your words today. Let me listen to the way you speak today. And without a doubt, I'll tell you what you'll see tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what your reality will be tomorrow. Because what you produce in here today is what will manifest out there tomorrow. That's, that is a divine law that can never be broken. Jesus said, the scriptures cannot be broken. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. I want, you to, I want to read a story to you. This best expresses and illustrates what I'm telling you today. Numbers chapter 13. Listen to this. Moses sent spies out to the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way and say to, say to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak or few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests there or not, and be of good courage, bring me back some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron, Ahimon, Shesha, and Telmai. The descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. Now skip down uh, verse 25. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Numbers 13, 25. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation 
So the, ten spy, the 12 spies returned and they brought back word and showed them the fruit of the land. When they to, then they told them and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. So they didn't deny the land that God wants to give us is true. Well, we know what the Bible says. Yes, what wonderful promises are. How many of you know God's promises are yes and amen? They love to talk and admire the word. They, they love to gaze and, and look at the, 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 the grandiosity of the fruit. But all they do is watch. They look. Look what happened. There's two types of people in Christianity. You'll either fit in one of these two. Number one, we see right here. This is what their confession was. So God has great land for us. God has great promises. Did you know God can heal the sick? Yeah, but not for us. How many of you know God sometimes has different plans? This is how they speak. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are too strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we even saw the descendants of Anak there, giants in the land. The Amalekites dwell there in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. So you had 10 spies that came out and gave that report, which they weren't, it wasn't like, they weren't lying. They had spied out a land that had good fruit and it was a land flowing with milk and honey. But they didn't, they didn't lie about the land. There were giants there. There was a great walls and fortified cities. However, they let that reality rob them of the higher reality of the word of God. And they let that reality shape their confession and their words rather than the report of the Lord. So let's see what happened. But Caleb quiets the people down before Moses and said, let us go up at once. Caleb and Joshua saw the same land that the other ten spies saw. But here's how their confession was. Let us go up at once and take possession. For we are well able. Hallelujah. We are well able to take possession and overcome it. But the men who had gone up with them said, we're not able. So you have someone saying we are well able. And then the ten spies who let, who were led not by faith but by sight dictate the way they spoke. We are not able. You'll either fall under one of two people. Those who, like Peter, he steps out of the boat looking and fixing his eyes on Jesus. And as long as he kept his eyes on the word made flesh, he was well above the circumstances of life. The floods didn't drown him. The waters didn't suck him in. Gravity lost its hold as he kept his eyes on Jesus. As you implement the law of faith, the laws of nature lose their grip on limiting what you're able to do. Smith Wigglesworth used to say it this way. Uh, God is not limited by anything except by the limitations of our own unbelief. God is not limited by anything except by the limitations of our own unbelief. As long as Peter kept his eyes on the word of God, he kept above the floods of life. 
And not only did Jesus walk on water, but because Peter believed, God allowed him to walk on the same platform of miracles that his own son did. And the laws of nature gave way to the higher law of the supernatural, the law of faith. But the moment he was no longer driven by faith, the moment he was no longer fixed on faith, the moment he let his confession alter, the moment he took his eyes off the word of God, and he looked on the waves of the sea, and he looked on the storms of life, and he was no longer, you know the Bible says, these are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. What's being led by the Spirit? It's being led by the Word of God, because these words that I speak to you, they are Spirit and they are life. But the moment he was no longer led by the Spirit of life in the Word of God, and was now led by his emotions, his frustrations, his senses, sight, hearing, feelings, well, I know what the word, but I just feel. Who cares what you feel like? I hold fast the confession of my faith without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and he shall bring it to pass. The Bible says Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Confession in the actual uh, Greek is saying what God said. That's what it means. It's just saying what God said. It's lining your, your mouth up with what God has already said. And you can, know, you can never go wrong quoting God. Snares, traps, destruction comes when you line your mouth up with the devil's lies. Blessing, goodness, mercy, favor, healing, health, and life is attracted your way. When you line your mouth up with the word of God. That's why David didn't say on most days goodness and mercy will. Surely every single day of my life. Goodness and mercy. Blessing and life. Healing, health, vitality and righteousness. Will follow me all the days of my life. Look at what Joshua and Caleb said. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men, that's why the devil's going to work overtime and try and get you to look on your situation and let that form your confession. Get you to be sense-driven rather than spirit-driven. Oh, that's what he did to that's what he did to Jesus. Well, I know you're saying you're the word of God. I know what the word of God says about you. But if you are the son of God, get you to doubt your identity. Get you to doubt your dominion over him. Get you to doubt what God says about you and get you to doubt what God said about the devil. That the devil's not a victorious creature. The devil is a defeated foe. Every time the devil's mentioned in scripture, it's in reference to his defeat. But the devil doesn't want you to focus on that. He wants you to focus on that sickness that's growing. He wants you to focus and magnify the land that's filled with giants rather than the land that's filled with milk and honey. But my brother and sister, 
Today, this word gets into your spirit, the spirit of faith, which will begin from this day. It won't you be trying to speak life. It won't be you trying to line up with the word of God. It won't be you trying. Well, I try to speak right. It'll be the spirit of your father who is at work in you and allowing, empowering you to speak out of your mouth the power of life into your situation. In the name of Jesus. That's right, Liz. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. David said, I would have lost heart had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Stop talking about what the devil's doing. Stop glorifying the devil by exalting your defeat and failures of the past. Instead, glorify God. That if he did it before, he'll do it again. The enemy notwithstanding. Let us go in at once. For we are well able to overcome. I'm an overcomer. There's things you shouldn't confess. Like I'm defeated. Never confess failure. Never confess quitting. Never declare that you... How many of you know... He's everything and we're just nothing. We're wretched people. That's not what the Bible says of you. The Bible says you have been joined to the Lord. You're a new creature. So when you start saying, and you're created in the image of God. So when you start saying things like, you know, we're nothing. We're just wretched creatures. How many of you, amen? Next time your pastor says that, no, not amen. What Christ is, now I am. Because it's no longer I who lives. Christ now lives in me. So for me to say I'm a failure, I'm saying God's a failure because he lives in me and he dwells in me and he flows through me and his abilities in me. A lot of pastors, they say things that aren't scriptural because they know it's going to get an amen. How many of you know we're weak, but he, you know, but he's strong, but ultimately we got to, in this life, we're going to, we're going to, we're just sojourners and there's going to be defeat. There's going to be failure. It's not what my Bible says. My Bible says they go from strength to strength. Every one of them that appear before God in Zion. My Bible says that even in old age, I'm still going to be fresh and flourishing and producing fruit. My Bible says God has exalted my horn, my strength, like that of a wild ox. My Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. My Bible says I go from glory to glory as I look and behold him in the word of God. My Bible says that the same God who delivered me is delivered me and he shall yet deliver me. My Bible says that I am more than a conqueror through him who gives me strength. My Bible says that my God shall uh, supply abundantly shall abundantly supply all my needs according to his riches and glory my bible says no evil shall befall me nor shall plague come near my tent i'm not going to confess what the world and the devil and some backslidden preacher wants me to say i'm going to say what god says about me about god and also about the devil that's the thing there are things you have to talk say about god there are things you say about yourself in the word of god and there's things you can discover in the word that define what the devil is like and what the devil what the devil looks like. He's a defeated, cowarded, neutered, castrated devil. Has no power. Jesus already said, all power in heaven and on earth belongs to me. Jesus said that. All power. If all power. I'm not a mathematician. But the, 
If you have eight pieces of pie and you eat all eight pieces of pie, how many pieces of pie are left? None. All power, Jesus said, has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And now, when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, ye shall receive power. How many of you know there's a big bad devil? No, he's not. He's a big dumb devil. He's, a, he's not a lion. He's like a lion. He's actually a mouse with a microphone. And it's, like I said, it's not you trying to confess properly. It's when you feed on the word of God. Out of the abundance of this word, your mouth will naturally speak. Listen to this. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able. So they challenged them again. Hey, don't listen to those faith preachers. Don't listen to those word of faith preachers. What do you want me to be? A word of doubt preacher? What do you want me to You want me to get up here and say, hey, how many of you know life's hard? There's no solution. Uh, just pray that God kills you quicker. What do you want me to say? What was Jesus' message? Did he come here saying, uh, did the angels announce his coming by saying, we bring you terrible tidings of terrible news and no joy, just depression. Or did we bring you good tidings of great joy and goodwill towards men? What do you want me to get on here and just discourage you? How many of you are suffering? Lift your right hand. How many of you are really suffering? Lift your left hand. Well, now that you have both hands up, just surrender to defeat because that's what you're going to have the rest of your life. What do you want me to do? Well, those word of faith preachers, they tell you that everything's possible. I didn't say it. Jesus said, believe in me. All things are possible to him that believes. Well, the way Brother TJ makes it sound is that if you'll just put your faith in God, he'll heal you. Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you have desired. I didn't say anything. I'm just telling you. I'm a messenger. I don't originate anything. I just carry the messenger, the message. And you know what the Bible says? A good ambassador brings health. A good ambassador brings life. The Bible says the tongue of the wise promotes health. So if you're, you surround yourself with preachers, then all they love to do is talk about death, talk about how things are hard, how things aren't going to get better, how things are just getting worse and worse in life. Then you could surround yourself by that, feast off what they want, and eat what the devil wants you to eat and shove in your face. Put the dung of his mess, spread it all over your face, whatever you want. But I've chosen, I've chosen and I've made up my mind. That if God said that I can be more than a conqueror, if God said that greater is he that lives in me, if God said that he has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants, if God said that if I'm faithful, that the Bible says no work done in God's name is done in vain, that he's a rewarder and not a discourager. He's an encourager, a lifter. He said he'll lift up the beggar out of the dunghill. He'll lift up the poor man out of the ash heap. If God said that he'll anoint my, my head with fresh oil and make me stronger than my enemies then I'm going to choose to believe God rather than the report of men hallelujah but you're going to have people that fight you on this you're going to have people the moment you start talking faith don't get their hopes up with that stuff the moment you start talking no we're able to do it people don't care People will stay silent. The devil, 
will keep his mouth shut. If, if, as long as you, as you talk struggle. It's the moment you start, like David. David gets on the field, 40 days Goliath is mouthing off. Nobody does anything. Then David gets there and says, who's this dumb uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? What's the reward if I kill him? Because even David knew there's a reward in service to God. What's the reward if I kill him? Uh, you, your whole family's tax exempt for the rest of your generations. And also, if, uh, if you're interested, Saul has, you know, it was like Israel's form of the bachelor. Saul has allowed his, his daughter, the bachelorette, Michal, to, he, he's given her over. He's, he's made her available. Whoever kills Goliath can have her in marriage. He looked at her. She's cute. All right, let's do it. He gathers five smooth stones. And who's the one when he says he's about to go and let, let, let no man's heart fail on account of himself. Your servant will go and defeat it. What happened? His own brothers rose up. Why don't you go back and tend to those few sheep? What do you think you are? They'll think you're arrogant. Because faith has a level of arrogance to it. But it's not confident boasting in your own ability. It's confident boasting in God's ability. In that God cannot fail. In that God cannot lie. In that God cannot change. Why don't you go back to your few sheep and tend them? Get out of our way. Why don't you go buy a horse, live in a mountain somewhere, and not bother anyone? David ignored them. You're going to have to ignore. The, when you start talking like this, you're going to have to ignore the haters. You're, there's going to be a voice of unbelief that's going to rise up around you, outside and also within. Because your mind is continuously being renewed by the Word of God. And so it's not like I'm preaching. I, I get thoughts sometimes that come into my mind that are against God's will. But that's why he said, I've given you weapons to cast down every imagination of the mind and every high and lofty thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So you, you don't have to, you know, a bird can fly over your head, even fly on your head, but you don't have to let it nest there. A thought can come into your mind, but you don't have to allow it and create an environment where it's nurtured and that thought grows and it implants itself in your life. Your mind is a terrible master, but it's a wonderful slave. Don't let the devil get you to think that you have to subject yourself to the power of your mind. No. The Bible says, I bring my mind and my body into subjection to my spirit, which is in God's likeness. And you can not be conformed to the patterns or thoughts of this world, but you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4. We are to put off the old thoughts. We are to pull off the old mind. We are to pull off, put off the old way of doing things. We are to put off the old man and be renewed in the spirit of our, of our mind. That's what a lot of Christians try and do. They think that if, oh, I'm born again, amen. If I just pray and that's it, that I won't think those thoughts I used to think. And they still battle with anxiety, paranoia, evil thoughts the rest of their life. Because your mind is going to work. It's going to work. It's, going to, it's like a hamster's wheel. It will keep on rolling. But you get to decide which hamster rolls on it. You can't eliminate a thought. You can only replace a thought. You cannot eliminate a thought. You can replace a thought.
Because your mind is going to think. Because if you stop thinking, you're dead. So it's not just the putting off of the old man. You have to now put on the new man. Renew the washing of the water of the word of God. The water, the word is water. And it cleanses your mind from the old patterns of thought. And then implants in you divine wisdom. And when you get to the point, the Bible says when the cloud is full, the water will fall. Will, will fall. Ecclesiastes 11. When the clouds are full, the rain will come. Well, in the same vein, when your heart is full of the word, you'll naturally start to release those words. Won't be you trying. That's why Joshua and Caleb didn't have to try. Nobody, nobody counseled them. They didn't go to an Anthony Robbins session. They just, no, we're so full. The Bible says of Caleb, he wholly followed the Lord his God. He was so full of God's report that any foreign report was, was irritable to him. It irritated him. You find out when you get filled with faith in the word, when you start to discover the inheritance of the saints, what God has made available to you and to me, anything that is counter to that thing, to that word, to that inheritance, it starts to irritate you. It's like when Paul went to Athens and he saw the city was given over to idols and the Bible says he was grieved in his spirit. It's exactly what happens to you. You get grieved in your spirit. My, my wife once, she comes up to me and she says, I have a, a lump in my breast and I didn't say anything before, but now it's like a couple of weeks and it's not going down. And um, she, she had it for like three, four months. And this was before Judah, before pregnancy, everything. And uh, it, it, it just never left. Non-painful, which they say when it's non-painful, it's usually bad. And so we just took the word of God. James 5, if any among you are sick, pray the prayer of faith, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will save the sick. We took what Isaiah says. He bore our sickness, carried our pains, and that was our confession. Laid hands on her. A couple of months later, we're in a meeting. The anointing was hitting the place. I was preaching, and I, I felt the unction. Called her out. Laid hands on her. And I said, as what, the, the culmination of what we've declared and decreed the past few months comes to fruition tonight. And we, received the, we reap the reward of our harvest from the seeds of our mouth that we've sown continuously and unwaveringly. And that night, it shrank like 75%. And then within a week, it was completely gone, never to be remembered. Can you say amen? Because faith works tangible results. Faith is a living force drawn by the living word that produces living results. And that faith today, as you begin to speak like Joshua and Caleb, the land might be full of giants. The cities might be fortified and the walls might be high. But if God is on my side, what he has said concerning my situation shall prevail, the devil notwithstanding, for I am well able to possess the land. Your confession from this day forth will bring possession of God's greatest promises your way in the name of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, type amen. And I'm, I'm going to stop on this, on this subject, on this point today. Because I, I can go on and on and on. But I, I told my wife and we're going to spend time with my boy today because it's his birthday, his first birthday.
I'll give you three practical things and then we'll pray. How do you change your confession? Number one, understand what Jesus did for you. Understand, discover. Have an explorative, diligent spirit to discover in the Word of God. Let this book of the law not depart from thy mouth. But be careful to observe and to do both all things that are written therein so that your way may be, may be prosperous and you'll have good success. Understand what Jesus actually did for you. Don't be lazy. Crack this Bible open. Study this book of the law so that you're, wor you're a workman who need not be ashamed, the Bible says. The Bible says, give yourself entirely to it, meditate on it, so that your progress may become evident to all. Number one, understand what Jesus did for you. Understand the defeat of Satan at the cross and the victory that Christ has, paid, has obtained for you. Number two, what you are now as a result of all that. So you have to, number one, understand the demise of Satan, the demotion of Satan's rule and reign over your life, and the promotion and the enthronement of Jesus Christ in your life. And then number two, not just admire that, but understand what it means for you on practical level from the Word of God. And start to speak that. Start to declare that. So if you're, the Bible says, if you'll serve the Lord your God, He'll bless your bread and your water and take sickness out of the midst. So who are you to confess sickness? If you have fever, just say, it must be the devil who has the fever because I know I've already been redeemed from all the curse of the law. That that symptom is a lie. And you enforce the... You enforce, you know, the Bible says Jesus is the high priest of our confession. A high priest does what? He appropriates God's blessing. So Jesus is the appropriator of God's blessing according to our confession. So just because there's a blessing out there, it won't be made real for you until you hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. So understand what you are now as a result. I'm seated in heavenly places. That's a daily, that is a daily confession. Here, I'll give you seven daily confessions that you can make. Number one, I'm not a sinner. I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's not to say you, you haven't sinned or you didn't sin or you don't sin anymore forever. You're, you've, made per, you've been made perfect. You, you're never going to sin again. You might sin, but that doesn't make me a sinner. Just like I might go to a car garage and get my car fixed, but I'm not a mechanic. You understand what I'm saying? I went to McDonald's. I am not a hamburger. I've, <laughs> I've cooked in the kitchen. I'm not a chef. I'm not a sinner. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Number two, I'm not sick. I am healed and made well and healthy. Jeremiah, I have given you health and a cure and have revealed unto you the abundance of truth and righteousness. Number three, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. That means I am no longer under the power of Satan. I have been purchased back, redeemed, purchased back, brought back into the family of God. I am not a foreigner to God's blessing. I am a fellow citizen with the saint and a member of the house of God. God, I am redeemed. No wonder Psalm says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
Don't just be astonished at redemption. Say so. I am redeemed. I am bought back. I am brought into the family of brought into the family of God. I have come unto Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. Number four, I have authority over Satan. Satan has no authority over me. Christ has translated us out of the dominion of Satan into the dominion of his son. You know what that tells you? If I was in, if I was in Guatemala, no, let's say I was in Pakistan and I preached the gospel there, which it's illegal to preach the gospel publicly there. But then I came back to, to Canada where I live and the Gestapo, the police force of Pakistan got word that I had conducted a crusade there, the army of Pakistan, and they sent troops over to Canada to try and arrest me. They have no jurisdiction where I'm at. They have no legal right to arrest me in Canada because I'm outside of their domain. I'm outside of their territory. In the same vein, when I served the devil, I was under the dominion of Satan. I was subject to his governing. I was subject to his rule. I was subject to his dominion. But when Christ translated me out of the dominion of Satan into Christ's dominion, I am no longer subject to the devil's chains. I'm no longer subject to the devil's rule of terror. I am now subject to God's benefits and blessing and all the benefits of God. He heals our disease. He, he, he forgives all our sins. So you have to confess that. I'm no longer on the, author, the authority of Satan. Satan's under my feet. God has crushed Satan under my feet. Number five, I'm translated. I've been transferred. Some of you, you've received the note that your prison sentence is over, but you're still sitting in your prison cell receiving and reading the note. You've received the gospel that tells you you've been set free, but you're still in your prison cell reading the same note. Even though the prison cell has been open, even though the, the what do you call the, the guy that's in charge of the prison? The warden has opened up the prison cell and said, you're free to go. You're, you're sitting in your prison cell, reading the note, and reveling, cherishing that freedom that you hope to one have while you sit bound in shackles and chains in a, when everything's, everything's been released. So you have, to, you have to see yourself. I've been translated out of Satan's prison cell into God's green gardens. He turns graves into gardens. He turns my pool, my wilderness into a pool of water. Number six, I'm no longer weak, I'm strong. Joel, I let the weak say I'm strong. Don't confess weakness. Don't confess what you can't do. Confess that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And number five, uh, number seven, I have victory. I am not defeated. I have the victory. I am not defeated. You don't start speaking victory when you see victory happen. You speak the victory and the God who gives victory and performs all things for us will enforce the victory. You don't shout when the, battles, when the walls come down and the battle's over. You shout now 
And God will see to it that the battle is won and the walls come tumbling flat. I pray that this broadcast today not only strengthened your faith, but encouraged your faith so that you're no longer shaken in mind by every wind and trickery of doctrine. The Bible says we're no longer to be children tossed to and fro, to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Why are children tossed to and fro? Because they don't have a settled belief in, in, in anything. They haven't established for themselves what they believe, so they're tossed to and fro. They believe one thing one day and then the next day. You can tell them anything and they'll believe it. Well, the Bible says there's a time to be a child of God, but we're to move on into sonship. And the whole creation is not eagerly waiting for the manifestation of the children of God that are tossed to and fro. We got too many nursing babies in the church that are still in the bottle of the milk of God's word. The whole creation is eagerly awaiting the manifestation of your sonship. And I prophesy today, every dry bone in your life, everything the devil's taken advantage of in your life, every foothold the devil has laid claim of in your life that has kept you down, has held you down today, by the word of the Lord. I prophesy as I was commanded. Be free. In the name of Jesus Christ. You are free. From the oppression. And captivity of Satan. From this moment onward. So rejoice ahead of time. For the Lord. Has given you. The victory. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands and start to thank God. You're breaking free. Just by the, and I, I, I said it before, the spirit of faith. The Bible says we've received the spirit of faith. We speak as we have believed. The spirit of faith is a speaking spirit. And as that spirit comes on you today, from today onward, God will not only enlighten your heart to the truths of God's word, He'll endue you and clothe you with power from on high. That even in the face of opposition, like those two Joshua and Caleb, in the face of giants, like David, in the face of Goliath. The word of the Lord is what will proceed out of your mouth. And you know what happens? Isaiah 44, 26. He confirms the word of his messengers and performs the counsel of his people. He performs the words of his messenger and he confirms the counsel of his people. When you speak God's word, God goes to work to enforce that thing in your life. And you can see that all throughout scripture. I only gave a few examples, but you can study it time after time. The three Hebrew boys, our God whom we serve, he's able to deliver us from this burning fiery furnace. And even if he doesn't, we'll never bow. What happened? He didn't, God didn't send an angel because of the force of faith and them standing on the word of God. God didn't send an angel to stand with them in the, the fiery furnace. God himself, Jesus himself came down and Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said, I see a fourth man whose appearance is like the son of God. And there they were. It, they escaped. Now the hair of their head was burnt and they didn't even smell like smoke. The devil might have thought he had you thrown in a burning fiery furnace. But by the force of faith today, you'll come out of this battle 
not smelling like smoke. You'll come out of this battle where it won't even look like you ever had a battle. God doesn't just deliver you. He erases the scars so that it doesn't even look like you even went through it. Can you say amen? And God will use you in that area to break others free in the name of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never given Jesus, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never made Lord, uh, Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. You need to get saved because all this won't work for you if you're not saved. So I want you to pray this prayer with me from the bottom of your heart. Say, Father, I believe in my heart. God raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess today, Jesus is Lord over my life. Come live in my heart where I was weak. Make me strong. In Jesus' name, I am saved. I am healed. I am delivered. And I'll never go back. Amen. If you pray that prayer, I'd love for you to go on our website, salvationnow.ca. And the first link that pops up, www.salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill out the first uh, just fill out the form and I want to get something to you free of charge as a way of saying thank you. And um, if you'd like to give today, you can do so by going to our website, salvationnow.ca slash give. I'll put that link up. Salvationnow.ca slash give and you can stand with us uh, and partner with us in the gospel. I, I want to thank you in advance. You guys, I, we've had such faithful givers and partners. People have come on board as monthly partners and uh, you can do so today. And I want to say thank you in advance for standing with us. Remember, the Bible says he gives seed to the sower and bread for food. So God has given you a seed to sow or else he's a liar because he said, I give you seed to sow. So he gives seed to the sower and then bread for food. But the seed comes first. And when you sow the seed, God will see to it that the bread comes for food. And then it says he multiplies the seed. God's hands are not subtracting hands. God's hands are not addition hands. God's hands are multiplying hands. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.